0: This is episode 110 of Off Scripts with Trish Gloss, intimate interviews with interesting people. Joining me today via Skype, super excited. I have Sarah Tracy, sommelier and founder of The Lush Life. Hi Sarah Tracy. Hello. I love that you're appropriately next to wine.
1: Yes, I tend to have wine around
0: me. I don't know how that happens. It's just Appears wherever I go these days. (laughs) Right. And I love that you call yourself a professional lush. Love it.
1: Yeah, that's sort of a a little tongue in cheek way for me to explain the dual nature of, I think the term lush is really fun. You know, there's that component that's opulent, sumptuous, luxurious, and then Alash is also someone that likes their wine. And I definitely fall into both categories, I think.
0: Yes, you do. And I notice you have the H3 wines next to you. We're going to talk about those, but um, I want to get to first. Where are you from originally?
1: I grew up right outside of Chicago, uh, so Midwestern girl. But I've been in New York for long enough, I think, to call myself an official
0: New Yorker. Okay, What was your childhood like growing up out there?
1: Pretty traditional, uh, white picket fence type of life. I uh, am the oldest of four kids, so really fun, Mm -hmm. you know, very, actually, I do have to say I grew up a few blocks away from the Home Alone house, if you've seen the Home Alone movies. Stop it.
0: Did you really? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so most people, if I say that, they, like, can picture my neighborhood, where I'm from,
0: and... A hundred percent. I know exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see that <laughs> yeah. street right now. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and Ferris Bueller and like all of the John Hughes movies were all shot in my hometown, so. Right.
0: Uncle Buck too, right? Them.
1: Yeah, all of those.
0: Okay, super cool. So you're the oldest of four kids. What'd your parents do?
1: My mama's a stay-at-home mom uh, with four kids, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> that ends up, but she was really involved. Uh, I grew up doing a uh, lots of plays and like the community theater and she designed all the costumes. So she definitely had a creative crafty side about her. Okay. And then, um, my dad was the executive director of a nonprofit. So huh. yeah, nice. It was, it,
0: well, yeah. the fact that you were the oldest of four explains a lot. It's just that, that oldest child, right? They, they tend to just, they're just go-getters. They're just, Go do it.
1: I always say that I knew ever since I saw The Muppets Take Manhattan that I wanted to move to New York. <laughs> so, like my whole childhood, I had this vision of hanging out with Miss Piggy and the Rockettes, uh-huh. and so uh, that I think that was the the seed of my New York dreams. But
0: yeah, I always kind of knew New York was eventually where I wanted to be. Beautiful. Um, I went to New York as a youngster and went to Radio City Music Hall and saw the Rockettes. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to be a Rockette. Done. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, So then talk to me about your path to New York City. Was, Was this a dream in high school? Was this a dream after high school? How did that start?
1: Yeah, my dad took me to New York for the first time when I was 16, and I really fell in love with the city from actually getting to know it rather than just through the movies. But it's not that different than what you see in the movies. Is the thing about New York. And uh, I was always just drawn to it. And I actually went to school for music Mm. as a vocal performance major. And, you know, when you want to be a professional singer, it's really New York, L.A. or Nashville are your three main options. And New York was going to kind of always be my place, I think. So that's what I moved to New York to do and ended up, doing that and then finding wine somewhere along the way.
0: That's interesting how that happens when you do have this dream, but then that tends to take you down a different mm-hmm. path. What school did you go to what, you, that you said you majored in?
1: Yeah, I went to Boston Conservatory mm-hmm. and Berklee College of Music in Boston. So we would we would come to New York on weekends. We would go, get into like the the dollar bus <laughs> and uh, come see Broadway shows and concerts and stuff like that. So I was already kind of a conditioned to that New York lifestyle. And then, right after graduation, I basically moved. And a lot of my college friends had also, um moved to New York and everyone was making music so it was a really nice little network to have we could all go see each other's shows and open mic nights and support each other and so and to this day my best friends in the world are still my college friends from conservatory
0: i love that what did you want to do with that i mean you wanted to be a singer but like where did you see yourself taking that
1: i think i saw myself like like optimally like Adele. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that was probably the the type of dream, but you know, not everybody gets to be Adele is what I've learned along the way. But yeah, I had a band and it was really fun. It was a great, great time in my life. We were young, played a ton of shows around New York, everything from like the swankiest supper clubs to the nastiest dive bars and everything in between. And uh, we were assigned to an indie label and had a couple of albums out and a couple of music videos and really we're doing the thing. And I always just, like most working artists had to have some kind of side hustle to pay the bills. Yeah. And so I was cocktail waitressing at a nightclub, and it was a really fun experience. But I was also getting home at five or six a.m. every night mm. after a really wild night battling the crowds, the club, and I eventually wanted a little bit of a change of pace. And so rather than, you know, going to work in an office like you would logically think, I would want to do if I wanted a <laughs> lifestyle change, I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep waitressing, but I think I'm going to go work at a little wine bar, something that's really laid back and chill where I I'll, I know I'll be home by 11 p.m. every night, just serve some wine and cheese to people. So that was really the kind of trap door that led me down the rabbit hole of wine. Never anything that I thought I would focus on career-wise, but, um, you know, I was really doing music, and then the side hustle was the the wine, and, and now uh, wine's become the main thing, and music's a little bit still of a, a side thing for me too. So I was able to keep music as part of my life, which was always,
0: yeah, you know. I love that. Me. I'm glad music is still there. It's so funny you say that. I've, I've heard this a lot from the wine nerds. Uh, uh, master of wine, Brie Stock, she's actually from Australia. She came to America. She wanted to be an actress was just full on ready to do it, had to have a side hustle, worked in a restaurant, then the wine bug just bit her, and now she's a master of wine living in Oregon. But I just I've hear I hear this a lot that this the wine bug bites people and then they just start soaking up knowledge and they can't stop.
1: Yeah, that's so accurate. Many, many wine professionals have a history as artists and Um, you know, it's, it's interesting with the wine industry, you know, you're not a little kid dreaming of being like a fireman or a ballerina or a sommelier, right? Like (laughs) it's not, it's not like a dream that you have as a child. So everyone, you know, once they find their way into wine and you, I didn't even know wine could be a career to be totally honest Mm -hmm. with you. My family's not in the industry. My parents like wine. They're not connoisseurs by any means, And I had no background, no exposure. We never like took a trip to wine country in California. I mean, I had no background in wine at all. And exactly, I think that wine is so similar to art and music in that way that it's history and culture and it's also gastronomy and it also happens to be geography and geology and nature and it's delicious. So that helps Mm -hmm. as well. But there's so much about wine. There's a lot of parallels. And now I do a lot of uh, education on the wine side. And I feel like my music background's helped me a lot. I I equate it to my grandfather was a professional cellist. I, While dreaming of being a pop star, I also studied a lot of opera and classical music technique. And I love classical music. And with wine, I find it to be very similar to music in that way that people know what moves them, and they know what they like, Mm -hmm. but they don't always have the vocabulary to be able to identify it or express it or to ask for it. You kind of have to take a music appreciation class or an art history class to get that vocabulary to be able to really engage on it, but you still know what you love. Even if you know nothing about music, you still know when a symphony moves you, and I think with wine, it's so similar. You still know a wine that moves your soul in some way, even if you don't know how to describe that or explain it. So a lot of what I focus on now is giving
0: people that vocabulary. I love that. And it's so true, because if you think about those two things, um, because I, I do love wine, but at times it can be so overwhelming, right? You go into a wine shop and you're just like, I don't even know where to start. And the same with music. I'm a huge fan of music. I know what I like. But when you start looking for other new music, it's overwhelming. There's just, there's so much out there. So you do have to start small baby steps, right? And then just sort of build on that.
1: Yeah. And you know, wine, of course, is the thing that's confusing about wine is more like wine laws and appellations and all of the regional quirks and all of that. Um, The actual experience of tasting wine, to me, is pretty simple. Sure. When you start getting into the intellectual and geographical and like legal side of it that's a little more tricky yeah which is but anyone for can people. learn to
0: taste wine sure and, yeah. and that's fun for those who are looking to just soak up every little facet of of wine but yeah i i totally get what you're saying let's go back to that wine bar you're there and obviously from day one are you just like okay help me teach me or like how did how did that work It was actually a little bit different.
1: I had a natural curiosity and I liked wine. I was like, oh, this is cool. start tasting it. And the owner um, approached me and he said, hey, Sarah, I think I want to start like a Monday night. People can come in, pay 20 bucks, taste 20 wines and have you host that. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a fun Monday night. Why not? We were kind of slow on Mondays. So it was a way to kind of promote what we were doing. And so it was really through me sharing wine with those tasters that would come in and, you know, communicating about it to them and seeing them light up when they suddenly saw it in a new way or understood something about it. That was really the first inkling I had that wine could be something that I would be even be interested in pursuing. At that time, I was still really, really, really involved in music and a lot of the money I was making at the wine bar was going to fund my next album. So I really had my eyes on the music prize. Um, and about, probably about a year later after working at the wine bar, I really did feel pulled towards wine, but it took, it wasn't immediate. It took a little while for me to start thinking in this way. And we have a local winery here in New York city And I said, you know, if I'm interested in wine, I should probably go and see if they'll hire me at the winery to, like, really learn more. And the winery happened to also be a music venue, so a 300-seat concert hall next to the winery. Wow. uh, Called City Winery. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I could bring my love of music and my love of wine together, and, you know, it seemed like a good fit for me. So I showed up on their doorstep and kind of begged them to hire me, (laughs) which... They did. They said, come back tomorrow morning wearing all black and we'll we'll get you started. Come back at nine. And I showed up. And the first thing they do when I walk in the door is take me over to this wine tasting station. And they say, this is a spit bucket. Your job all day is to keep the spit buckets emptied, rinsed, clean and replenished. And if you don't have any spit buckets to empty Here's where the glasses are. Here's a polishing rag. You better start polishing some glassware. And so it was not the glamorous, mm. you know, I was not in the cellar tasting barrels with the winemaker right away. <laughs> I really, but I loved it. I, it was so exciting for me. I loved just being a fly in the wall of that world. And we would have visiting winemakers that would come when they were in New York mm. just to come by and check it out. And sometimes they would host tastings and dinners. So I got to meet a ton of people and I just learned as much as I possibly could about the winemaking process through that job. And I ended up being there for six years and worked pretty much every job in the building by the time I finally left.
0: Right. Right. Well, here's, here's the totem pole and here's Sarah way down here, but yeah, but you do, you have to go through that, I think, to appreciate where you are right now.
1: Yeah. And to really learn from, the ground up, I think, in any industry when you're brand new and you're starting. And also, I mean, at this point, I was in my late 20s. Like, I wasn't straight out of college. Like, you know, I had some catching up to do. Um, It was definitely like a second career chapter for me. My first 10 years in New York were all about
0: music. Sure, sure. So I'm curious, though, was there ever, uh, because I like to refer to it as kind of the aha moment, was there ever a shift where you were like, huh, This is it, guys. This is it. I think this is it. Or was it ever you didn't want to say goodbye to music, so you never really wanted to admit like, yeah, I'm definitely going down this path because that meant music had to be left behind? Well, I had a night, a very
1: epic New York night that was definitely the turning point for me, where I had played a show with my band. And at that time, we had released an album. We had played a ton of shows it was going to be a little bit of downtime before we started writing the next record. That kind of, that used to happen more, I think when people would release an album now it's just artists are in the studio releasing a, a single every month. But I knew I was going into like a little bit of a phase of taking a little um, time away from the studio just to regenerate my idea and write some new songs and things like that. But my band had played a sold out show at this downtown club, packed the house, had an awesome night, felt amazing about it, got off stage. The owner refused to pay us. (gasps) Classic music industry, you know, for some reason. He didn't have the cash. And so I'm fighting with him in the back office, and my band is waiting for me to pay them. And it ended up just being this really devastating night. Mm -hmm. And the very next morning, I had been making more of a name for myself through this blog that I had started that we can chat about. The next morning I had an email from a winery in Tuscany saying, Hi Sarah, we love your writing. We'd love to introduce you to our wines. We'd love you to we'd love to fly you to Tuscany to spend a week with us, see what we do, learn everything about us, all expenses paid. And Shut I was up. like, what life do I want? Do I want to be fighting with the club owner and crying in the cab home? Or do I want to be, you know, jetting off to Tuscany? That was the moment that I said, okay, I'm seeing like two life paths (laughs) here. Why don't I put some time into wine for a while? Knowing music will always be there. So it wasn't necessarily a complete and total Mm -hmm. overnight pivot. But Mm -hmm. that if I could say there was one moment in my career that it seemed to influence me, I will always remember that night and then the very next morning. It was like a sign.
0: Tuscany will always do it every time, right? Oh, that's true. So, okay. so then let's back up a little bit. You were writing a blog at the time. You were still doing music. You're working in in wine, but you started a blog. What uh, what, what started all of that?
1: Yeah, because I thought I didn't have enough to do with the full-time music (laughs) career in my career. (laughs) So let's start a wine block, too. Why not? Um, That was really just something fun for me. I was, at that time, getting super into wine. I was studying for my certified level with the Court of Master Sommeliers, and I was learning so much about wine. And I would just go to dinner parties and, you know, throw around, like, some fun facts that someone might not have known about that bottle of Chianti. And my friends were like, wow, that's so cool. That's so interesting we'd love to learn more about wine, but, you know, we feel like it's kind of boring and kind of a lot to take on. And I started looking around at, you know, resources online, if there's things I could point them to, like, oh, if you guys want to learn about wine, check out this website. Mm -hmm. And I was finding, no offense to them, but, you know, wine spectator, wine advocate, very, very specific wine reviews of collector-level bottles, and to be honest, I was reading these sites and I'm thinking, if I think this is boring <laughs> and I'm studying to be a professional sommelier and I'm in the wine industry, my friends are never going to be interested in looking at a website like this. Right. A little dry. A little wine, dry. Though, a little dry. And, but I said they would love the actual content. It just needs to be presented in a way that they can relate to. And so I said, you know, I'm going to start a blog and it's going to be a wine blog, but it's going to be dressed up like a lifestyle blog. And it's going to have wine info, but also beautiful serveware and glassware and maybe some fun home decor, mm-hmm. maybe a music playlist. That would be a nice thing to listen to while you drink the wine. And then also basic education stuff like is a sure. screw cat bottle okay? Or does it have to be a traditional cork? Things like that. So I started the blog truly just for my friends to give them like a fun way to learn more. And it just grew really fast. I think there was a real need for it. This was in 2014. So there was a lot less out there online in terms of wine media than there is now. But it started to grow really fast. And I think that a lot of my peers were pardon the pun, but they were thirsty for Mm -hmm. actual wine info that was presented in a way that was interesting. I welcome all the puns.
0: Yeah, I welcome all the puns, by the way. (laughs) Um, But I do find too, in my 20s, I was getting into wine, loving it. But you're right, some things that you find online tend to be out of reach. And if this is something you're interested in, you wanna be able to touch it. And it's like, I can't afford, I'm broke. I can't afford that. $60 bottle of Pinot Noir in the Willamette Valley. Come on. And to me, that's
1: actually not very interesting to read about. One thing I'm pretty proud of is five years later, six years after blogging and now I'm writing for a lot of media outlets as a wine journalist, I've never written a wine review. Hmm. To me, that's only interesting to someone that's actually going to go be able to get that bottle (laughs) and then what they're going to open it and taste it while they're reading your review and To me, it's like I'm not going to spend a lot of time reading a review of a movie I'm never going to (laughs) see. Good point. Okay. So I just kind of felt like, uh, yeah, wine reviews to me aren't that interesting to read or write. Yeah. I like to tell more of the story
0: behind the wine and less reviews and point scores and things like that. I can get on board with that for sure. And clearly (laughs) you were good at it because a winery in Tuscany said, hey, we dig it come on out. So what was that trip like? I'm assuming you went.
1: I did. I did go.
0: I couldn't believe it. I think that's a thing of the time when people
1: ask me now about starting a blog or becoming an influencer uh, is that you have to do it because you love it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was not savvy about the wine business. I never thought I would get sent on a free trip to Tuscany from starting a blog. I remember when someone said for the first time they'd like to send you a bottle of wine. I was like, what? People are <laughs> going to send me wine? This is so cool. And now, you know, you can read a million ebooks on starting a blog on an Instagram and, you know, doing all of this stuff. But back then, I didn't have any real. Mm-hmm. Uh, context for it. So I just did it because I loved it with no expectations of anything ever coming from it. And here we are. But yeah, it was a great trip. I'm mean, going to open my eyes to a lot of things. I said, this, this is kind of the life for me. <laughs>
0: this That's, is what I want to do. That is amazing. I want to
1: travel around.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Okay. And I also, and I just want to ask too, because you see this a lot where, you know, someone wants to start a wine blog or start a podcast or whatever. And it's just, you know, you're thinking it's not going to come to you. You have to put in the work. And you were clearly putting in the work from day one when this was something that was really interesting to you. You said, this is what I want to do. I'm going to start this blog. And you put in the work. It, it didn't just land in your lap, I guess, is my point. Yeah, and I loved the work. You know, again, I the work for me was
1: just to mm-hmm. learn so I could be better at my job. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to... You know get free trips and things like that
0: oh for sure yeah 100 yeah so you come you come back home do you find that things just sort of explode at that point and it's just one thing after another yeah and that
1: was a little strange especially after trying so hard in the music industry for so mm-hmm. many years and feeling like it was a real uphill climb and you know it was two steps forward one step back in music and then to think to see wine, I'm just gonna start this thing for fun as a cool hobby and then have it really take off. That was awesome, but yeah, it was a little bit strange because I was used to thinking it was gonna take years and years and years and years to get any kind of progress and it just started happening so fast. But that was another thing for me that I was realizing, okay, if this seems to be coming naturally and easily, there's like a good flow happening here, I guess I'm on the right path.
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I mean, it was happening like Martha Stewart happening for you.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting one. I uh, was teaching some wine classes at the winery and her editorial team came to take my class just for like a fun night out. And yeah, (laughs) and they had a great time and I didn't know who they were. And at the end of the evening, one of the ladies came up to me and she said, hey, your style is so great. It's just smart and simple. You make it so easy to understand. And I would love to know if you've ever done any writing. And I said, "Yeah, I have a blog. You know, it's about 6 months old. I would love for you to check it out." And I gave her my card because I had little business cards printed up for my blog, which mm-hmm. I was always so excited to hand out. And I didn't hear anything for months and I kind of forgot about it. And then she ended up calling me like 3 or 4 months later and saying, "I don't know if you remember me, uh, we took your wine class, I got your card, but I write, or I'm an editor at a media outlet and we're looking for a wine writer. And we were interested in you. We've been following your blog. We really like it. And let me know if you'd like to chat more. And I, I said, okay, well, what's the media outlet? Right. She said, oh, it's Martha Stewart living. And I, <laughs> I did a movie style, like put my hand over the phone. I was like, ah, and it got back to the phone. It's like, I would love to discuss more. Totally kept my cool on the call. But um, it was a really, really cool development. Again, nothing that I ever necessarily planned.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's like totally keep your cool. Like, oh, yeah, I guess I could I guess I guess could find some time to write for Martha Stewart. No big deal. Um, did the blog start as Lush Life or did it turn into Lush Life? Okay, so it, you started it yeah. as the Lush Life.
1: Yeah, the Lush Life was... The name, um, I think I was thinking, oh, I, I don't know exactly how it came up. I think my roommate at the time, I was playing around with the word Lush because I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Lush Life, no, that's taken. All Lush Life. That you. Know, she's like, how about The Lush Life? And I was like, that is perfect. So, yeah, it started as The Lush Life, and it's it's still The Lush Life today. And I'm still publishing on the blog along with all my other stuff. Okay. I love it. It's like my own little corner that I get to do whatever I want, (laughs) not working with an editor or anything. Yes,
0: it really is. It's just, it's just your, like you just said, it's your little corner to basically just spew out whatever you want about wine. And did you find after Martha Stewart, did other opportunities pop up, obviously?
1: Yeah, the biggest difference there was that anybody would answer my phone call. (laughs) Any winemaker I wanted to talk to,
0: that's Martha right just boss I mean I love that that's so cool
1: you know my parents understood that I had a real job that wasn't just you know flying around the world drinking wine (laughs) so they could tell their friends yeah Sarah writes for Martha Stewart and so that was another big perk but it's like anything else You, you have these things happen in your career and you feel like oh is this gonna be a huge big break and I don't think it really works like that you know for me it's just like step by step like a Work, start writing for Martha, doors start to open, things start to happen. Uh, it was little by little. It wasn't like overnight, everything was totally different. But oh. it was nice to be taken a little bit more seriously. And it was very bizarre to enter the wine writer community and be the only female most of the time, be many times the only person like under the age of 50 at the table. Yeah. So that was, you know very cool that it took a little bit of adjustment i had to go to a couple wine luncheons before i felt more confident Mm -hmm. i was often mistaken for like the pr assistant that had put together the guest list or the girl that put the gift together or you know now people know who i am and after going to lots of events and networking you know people are familiar with me that at first That was very, it was a whole world that I was not, I was thrown into. Yeah. that was a big difference. But When I started writing for Martha, I did start getting invited to more prestigious luncheons and events and things like that. And I was a brand new face. And that did happen really fast. Mm -hmm. So I had to understand what that was all about. For
0: sure. And I mean, it's obvious. You have personality with a capital P. I mean, that's, there's no question around that. But what do you owe also your success too? Do you think it's because you take something that is as overwhelming as wine and just sort of break it down so it's no big deal?
1: I think so. And to be honest, there's not that many sommeliers that are interested in that. I think many of my peers are much more interested in talking about the back of vintages of Bordeaux and the different soil types in Burgundy. And they're not really interested in like, okay, what cheese do I pair with this screw cap bottle of rosé? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I feel, I feel like I didn't, like I have a very specific niche that isn't that competitive. So it might've been easier to get noticed for that because I'm a working wine professional and I, I, I can geek out with the best of them. I love talking about Bordeaux vintages, but really what lights me up is just talking to everyday drinkers and getting them excited about wine and, and, you know, when you don't know a lot about wine, every single thing you learn just opens up the wine world for you. It doesn't take a lot. It's like the tiniest nugget of info can right. totally change your relationship to wine for the rest of your life. So I've always really loved working with everyday drinkers and uh, and more on the lifestyle side of wine. I love to cook. I love to entertain. I love to make cocktails. And for me, uh, again, bringing that wine professional background to the lifestyle media is something like not a lot of people do you
0: you are correct sometimes we just need a place to go i'm serving this tonight what would be the best wine and if you go to uh, you know if you just google that you can get a bazillion different things pop up so you just need this little corner of like yeah right just i need a quick answer
1: or just know the question to ask. Exactly. You know, a
0: lot of people don't even know what they should be asking, which yeah, is for sure interesting. For sure. So, um, well, I am curious how how the pandemic, how the Rona has has affected. Oh, <laughs> a lot. Yeah,
1: a lot. Um, it's just been interesting that. I was working with a lot of restaurants on the consulting level, helping mm. them build their wine programs and be profitable and training staff. And a big part of my business was restaurants. Mm. And now that is no longer happening. So that was a big shift for me. But the fact that so many more people are drinking at home and they're you know, enjoying wine in the comfort of their own home is kind of been fun because I've been able to guide people towards wine and food pairing advice of things they can do on their own. They're unfortunately not able to go to the restaurant and talk to their favorite song and get the perfect wine pairing created for them at the dinner. It's more, people are more like left to their own devices now <laughs> to figure out what wine to get, what to pair, what's gonna work. So that's been fun for me to be doing a lot more video and a lot more um, on social media, just with
0: people helping them out at home. For sure. And well, wine consumption has gone up. I know in my house it has over the last few months. Yes, it we're definitely we're has. <laughs>
1: I have a number somewhere, like an actual statistic of how much it's gone up. It's gone up a lot. And I've found also that uh, people that traditionally haven't been big cocktail makers Mm -hmm. are all of a sudden, you know, making cocktails at home. Yes. you're not going to go to the cocktail bar and have a fabulous Manhattan appear in front of you. You might have to learn to make it. So I've been getting a little bit more into spirits because I've had a lot of readers and uh, followers and also spirits brands uh, Mm -hmm. say, hey, why don't we do something showing people how to make drinks at home? And I think I'm a really good person to do that kind of content because I'm not a professional bartender. Mm -hmm. So if I can make it at home, you can make it at home as well. I'm not infusing my own syrups and lighting orange twists on fire. I'm able to kind of simplify it for people. So that's been really fun. Yeah,
0: I I always say I have a healthy-ish obsession with with food and all drinks. I do not discriminate against beverages. Um, Let's talk about the partnership with H3, which is what you have in front of you. This is sort of a new thing that uh, just popped out. In fact, I just interviewed um, Lisa Stardust Uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely fascinating. Half of the stuff, I didn't quite understand what she was saying because it's very, she's so smart when it comes to astrology that I'm just like, wait, I need to take some notes on that. But talk a little bit about the partnership uh, with H3.
1: Yes. So H3 is one of my favorite wineries in Washington state. I visited Washington three or four years ago, went all over the state tasting wine, absolutely fell in love with it, Love the people, love the wines. And I always say, for value, these wines are, they taste like the Napa equivalent that's five times the price. So I love these big, bold reds. So H3 has done something really interesting. They've relaunched a brand new label design, And H3 stands for the Horse Heaven Hills, which is where the winery is located, and they're working with small family farmers to procure all the grapes that are going into these wines. So 95% of the grapes are from small family farmers in the Horse Heaven Hills, which is something really cool that a lot of people don't know about H3. So they're... Back in the day, this region used to be horse country and wild horses would just be galloping around. And so the emblem of the wine is the winged horse or that Pegasus mythological figure. And the new labels have a gorgeous silver wing on the front. It just nods to the history of winery and it's a big moment for them. So in order to celebrate their makeover, their beautiful new look, they worked with Lisa to come up with some fun, horoscopes that lead you to a wine that you might like based on your Zodiac sign. And I just love that. Anything that gives people the courage to just try something new. Maybe I wouldn't necessarily go for the red blend, but if I'm a Virgo and my horoscope says I'm drawn to that in my wine journey, I might discover I might just love it. So I think the the playful aspect of that is just so fantastic. Lisa's great, and I was reading through all the horoscopes she wrote for all the different wines, and they're really, really fun. They're very clever.
0: Very, very yes, super cool. And those are those wines are available right now with that new label.
1: Uh, they should be. They're starting to roll out. Okay, so you know if you go to your local store, they have them at many grocery stores, mm-hmm. Target, Walmart. Uh, Your corner wine shop should have them and you might see the new labels. If you still see the old branding, it's still the same delicious wine. So you could absolutely still enjoy it. But uh, little by little, we're starting
0: to see the new labels on shelves. It's
1: super exciting.
0: Fantastic. So you said you visited Washington. Have you come to Oregon Mm -hmm. wine country?
1: I did. I, last summer, I spent like only two or three days in McMinnville. So I need ah. to make more time and go back. But I love it. it. To me, spiritually, it has some similarities to the Washington wine country, just really humble people making really wonderful products. Uh, and just so friendly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, beautiful wines in Oregon.
0: Yes, incredible wines. I am a little biased because I live in Southern Oregon. We have incredible wine country down here, too. So if you come back, make some time for Southern Oregon, please. I need to just spend like a couple of weeks in Oregon,
1: I think, because, again, the wines and the people. And it's interesting because in my time in in restaurants in New York, Oregon Pinot Noir is Mm -hmm. just dominating the scene right now. When I first started my career, it was definitely all about Cabernet.
0: right? <laughs> and
1: i was seen a lot of, uh, Cabernet is a classic. It's always gonna be a, a big player on a wine menu, but it's been interesting to see how Oregon Pinot Noir specifically has really become such a coveted wine. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a development in New York.
0: And the cool thing about Southern Oregon is that we have microclimates down here. So we have pockets where it's cool enough to grow Pinot, but then it gets super hot in other uh, other parts of the region. So winemakers can grow Tempranillo and Malbec and and things that need a lot of heat, too. So that's what I love about Southern Oregon is that it's just incredibly diverse. But yeah, if you ever come spend two weeks in, in Oregon, please make some time for Southern Oregon. That would be awesome. Definitely. All right, we're gonna wrap up just a little bit, but I have to ask you um, about this uh, 60s girl group <laughs> tribute band, please, ma'am. What is that about?
1: Yes, so as you know, we've talked about music was yes. my first love. And I ended up seeing a an audition for a vocal group, and I didn't know much about it. It showed up at the audition, and I ended up getting this gig. We are called the Chicklets. And we, <laughs> we tribute all of the girl groups of the 60s, 70s. So wow. We do the Supremes, Ronettes, Chiffons, Shirelles, the Shangri-Las, all of those classic songs. And it's just a blast. We travel all around on weekends. It's I'm now what they call in the music scene, like a weekend warrior, mm. <laughs> like really doing that um, on the side of my, my full-time job. But it's just so much fun. And I think what I love about the music is it's all the Motown era, girl groups, soul, doo-wop. Every generation loves this music. We'll do a concert and we'll see little kids and grandmas and everyone in between just rock it out to some dancing in the streets. It's just a blast. So we have a lot of fun. We wear the sparkly dresses and we do the big hair and we have choreography and it's just a little treat uh, for me. It's a nice break from, you know, my wine life to be able to have an alter ego that's wearing a sequin dress and gloves and big (laughs) hair and singing and dancing some Tina Turner on stage. So I love it. So good,
0: so good. And that's, (laughs) you said the chicklets, C-H-I-C-K-L-E-T-S? C-H-I-C-L-E-T-T-E-S. Love it. That's that's pretty awesome. And I love that you're doing the two things that you love the most. You're you're still doing wine, but you're also still doing music. I think that's, a lot of people can't say they, they can do that. I feel why choose,
1: you know, and and you can be, you can be a full-time wine professional and still do music. You could be a full-time music professional and still be into wine. Mm -hmm. So for me, I never felt like I had to choose, but Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky that Chicklets has been a really fun, just thing that has happened in my life. And it's great because we have, you know, a full, backing band and a manager and a music director and they do all the booking and the marketing and the contracts and I just right. have to show up and have fun on stage. It's something that's different than when I was running my own band and I was mm. fighting with the manager to get paid. Now I, I don't have to do that anymore. Perfect. So that's, that that's really nice.
0: So for the wine noobs I'm obviously going to send them to you. Um, that's Lush Life. Yeah. Uh, but if you had just one little bit of advice or knowledge for someone who let's say went to a party last week and they're just like oh this is fun wine's kind of fun and they were just getting started what would you suggest
1: well the good news is your main homework is just to taste as much wine as possible perfect (laughs) so most people are excited when they hear that is step one but one thing that they always tell you when you start out studying wine is to go to the farmer's market and smell everything if you see tarragon smell that nectarines smell that porcini mushrooms smell you're building up a library in your own mind of aromas Mm -hmm. and things that they smell like Mm -hmm. and that way the next time you swirl a glass and you lift it to your nose you're like ooh that smells like tarragon, Mm. right? It's fresh in your mind. You're building those references for yourself. And most of wine tasting is actually your sense of smell. So the more you can develop that, sometimes I'll smell a glass of wine and say, wow, that smells like chalkboard erasers. And sure enough, it's a wine that's from an area where there's chalk soil and that's influencing the wine. So it's fun when you can have that mental library of different scents and start to match them up with your wines, and then you learn about the wine and you're like, ooh, this is why it smells right. like eucalyptus. Right. It's really cool.
0: So Sarah is giving us all the permission to be the creepy sniffer at the farmer's markets. <laughs> Just go do it. If anyone asks, yep. Sarah told me to. <laughs> I will totally take that burden on. You can totally blame me. <laughs> but you're right. Your palate is like a muscle. You know, The more you're tasting wines, the more you're getting oh, this tastes like that Pinot that I had, and then come to find out, oh, it's from the same region. Ah, oh, I get it.
1: Yep, it is a, it's totally muscle memory. No one is born an amazing wine taster. Mm-hmm. That's one thing they say. No one's born a great samurai sword maker. No one's born a great wine taster. This is something, a skill that you have to grow, flex your muscles. It gets so much easier the more you do it. It's like going to the gym. You start out with those one pound dumbbells, and before you know it, you're just right. gonna increase your weight every time. And you're, you're benching 300 within <laughs> a year, right? Exactly. So everyone's got to start somewhere. And my other advice would just be don't feel ashamed or embarrassed to admit that you don't know everything. Don't be afraid to ask questions with why a lot of people feel like, oh, I should know this. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to kind of swirl my glass around and like act like I know what I'm doing, which doesn't do you any favors. There's no prize for being the geekiest naturally geekiest wine person like everyone's got to ask the questions and don't be shy about that you know good wine professionals now will never judge you right back in, there's a vision of a sommelier that's an old french guy that just makes everyone feel inferior cuz they don't know as much and that's not the way that the industry is evolving. You have lots of enthusiastic, really approachable sommeliers, people that work at wine shops that just love wine and we love nothing more than to be able to share it mm-hmm. with people.
0: Yeah, I And tell- we love it
1: when you ask questions.
0: Right, I tell my reporters that all the time. It's okay to say, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, smart words. Okay, um, now if you do want more information, go visit Sarah Tracy at The Lush Life. You can also follow her on Instagram. Her um, It's at thelushlife.xyz, right? All yes. the
1: tips on zips. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly. OK, we're going to wrap up and get to the final three. You have been so much fun, Sarah. I feel like I could talk to you for another 45 minutes. Um, but let's get to the last three questions. Best advice you've ever been given.
1: Definitely from my dad,
0: hmm.
1: who told me when I moved to New York that I'm the person that has to look at myself in the mirror every day and be proud of my choices. It's not about what anyone else thinks is good, okay, what anyone else thinks is success. Uh, It's really about your own compass and that personal integrity of knowing that you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of myself. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm living the life that I wanna live. So that was great advice and I definitely have followed that
0: for sure. Is that something that you've heard kind of like right back here your entire life about to make a decision? You're like, oh, wait, what did dad say again?
1: There's going to be haters for everyone, right? There's people that will doubt you, people that will question what you're doing, especially I've one t- on a life path that not a lot of people are going down. There's no instruction manual for what I'm doing now. So... Uh, It's just all about feeling confident and knowing deep down in your heart that you're doing the right thing for yourself.
0: Yeah. Uh, You could be the juiciest, ripest peach on the planet. Not everybody likes peaches. That's it.
1: But a lot of people do.
0: (laughs) Enough people like peaches, you're gonna be good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, Uh, what's
1: your happy place? Somewhere on a boat. Mm -hmm. Let's say a boat on the Italian Mediterranean <laughs> with a glass of sparkling wine in my hand. <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen. That's some sounds handsome, <laughs> handsome crew fanning me with the, <laughs> something.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: Handsome young Italian guy. Exactly. You
0: were right. There you go. Um, okay. Final meal. Final drink. Final
1: meal. Definitely a dozen oysters a bowl of super skinny crispy french fries with aioli on the side. Oh, yeah. Probably some steak tartare. Mm. And I will say a glass of champagne with the oysters. Uh-huh. And then a big bold Washington state peppery red
0: wine with my steak tartare. Okay, I'm coming to your final meal. <laughs> That's easily one of the best I've, I've heard in a long time. I'm coming uh, to yours.
1: You're making me hungry now. I know,
0: <laughs> right? Um, thank you so much again. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast app or Spotify, uh, subscribe, please rate and review. It helps other people find us. You can also watch this podcast at ktvl.com and on YouTube, just search for Offscript with Trish Close. Before I let you go, I love all the big city sounds.
1: That's Brooklyn for you. <laughs> we have traffic and we have honking I love and, it. you know, this is the era of COVID is that we're, we're never in studio. We're always just coming from home. So I don't have a very good soundproof
0: apartment, but. I love it. It's been so fun <laughs> to hear like, you know, a motorcycle or someone honking whiz by. It's great. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, Awesome. One more time, Sarah Tracy, Sommelier and founder of The Lush Life. Thank you so much for giving me some time today Um, and go check her out and learn some things about wine. Uh, Thanks for having me Trish, this is really fun.